so um, as it was voted, was uh, revenue modeling was the, the the point of today's show, and uh, everything is good. Wonderful people can hear us. Um, and um, obviously, kind of Roblox does revenue modeling, and that's why we thought it was a bit on the nose. Uh, but but it was voted to be the topic. What we want to do instead of um, you know making this a sales show, um, teach you how you could do it yourself. Uh, and there's a little bit of a, a watch out here. Some of that stuff is complicated. Uh, we, don't, we don't want to hide that, uh, but it's really important also to, uh, you know, see this as a masterclass and see how that could be done and should be done. You can always boil it down a little bit and we'll give some pointers along the way where you could maybe cut some corners. Um, but that's um, that's the scope of, of today's session. So for people that maybe haven't heard the beginning here, Deb is here. She's fantastic. She's been working with me for a while. Uh, while she's on the show today, she um, has been working on the customer side and some of the revenue modeling there. Um, and uh, as as such, is really the expert here versus Tony, uh, the the talking head. So that's why I have Deb here, and uh, she might actually um, you know correct me if something is wrong. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Um, let's dive into it. So number one, why should you actually be doing revenue modeling in the first place, right? And this is really more about, and we have Deb sliding out of the screen. It's fantastic. Uh, no, so why why should you actually be doing it? So number one, um, if you or and or the executive team kind of feel like you're flying in the dark, that's that's a word we kind of hear a lot. Um, that might probably be a cue why you should be thinking about revenue modeling, at least on the go-to-market side. Sometimes people verbalize it as a losing control or we can't trust the data or we don't know what's what's going on. So that's usually kind of some of the cues, right? And and revenue modeling helps you to obviously kind of gain that back, kind of gain control back. Yeah? Um, what it can help you with is things like um, you have a budgeting conversation. This is what we, you know, back in the day, uh, use it also for Falcon. You have a budgeting conversation. You want to make sure that um, the budget that you are getting uh, on the CAC side, so customer acquisition cost, that it actually gets you to the target that you're saying yes to. So this was kind of a uh, horrific thing for me as a CRO to just say like, oh, sure, let's hit those 20 million newbies um, roughly with 20 million. And kind of how, how, do you, how do you figure out that that actually works, right? And revenue modeling can, for example, help you with that. Um, so again, right, uh, go and ask some questions. I think, uh, that will, Bart will, will capture all of that. And then, uh, can also be questions for Deb. Let's see about this, uh, but kind of moving on here. So how does, um, revenue modeling actually, uh, work? Um, and everything is really based on something that is extremely simple. Um, and the simplicity really comes from, uh, this formula here. It's literally the revenue formula. That's also the reason why we chose to call our podcast the revenue formula because it's kind of really the source of some of that, some of the Groblox thinking. Um, and here it's really about opportunities times conversion rate times average contract value times sales cycle. I'm just going to repeat the acronyms here. Opportunities times conversion rate times average sale, uh, contract value times sales cycle equals money. Yeah. And obviously, in uh, in a revenue modeling world, um, this gets a bit more complicated, but that's the basic idea, right? You have an opportunity. That's what we call a volume metric. Then you have conversion rate, ACV, and, and sales cycles as uh, processing steps. And out of that then comes revenue. Yeah? So this was a bit of a tee up. And now kind of going into what are the... Uh, what are the main steps to take in order to get your revenue mapping going in the right way? You know, step number one, revenue stream mapping. Yeah. So why do you need this? Well, there are two main reasons. One is that those customer journeys, think about them as buyer journeys or customer journeys throughout your funnel, they, um, they behave differently and they are different, right? If someone comes knocking at your door and says, demo request, I want to buy you a tool, um, that sales process is going to go much faster. The conversion rate is going to be much higher. And the ACV, usually an inbound, is going to be relatively smaller. Yeah? Uh, and which is fundamentally different from an outbound motion. Uh, outbound motion might have uh, higher as lower conversion rates because it's cold. It might take longer because it's cold, but might have higher ACVs because you can target specifically which companies to go after. 
The other reason why you want to separate those two things is that the inputs to them are different, right? If you have a, a pure outbound motion, the inputs in order to increase that is really more SDRs, more leads to call, more sequences to start and so forth. For inbound, it's different. It's, you know, maybe it's more traffic or leads or campaigns and so forth that is driving that, right? So it's really two. It's the behavior of those two things is different. And the other one is the inputs to those two things is different. Yeah. So in general, there are only really four main revenue streams on the planet, uh, at least for B2B. So number one is obviously outbound. We talked about that. Number two is self-prospecting. So that's the account executive going in and doing that. And number three is inbound. Inbound these days is super fancy. It actually breaks down into three separate motions by now. One is called product-led growth. So you have a trial experience and then you know sign up immediately after. You have product-led sales. You might have a trial experience and a sales guy picks you up. Uh, and then there's sales-led growth, which is a demo request. Uh, and you don't actually see the product and do the, the traditional inbound uh, route. Then you might obviously have a, a partner channel potentially that is somewhat overlaid on these other three. And then not to forget, but it's not necessarily mentioned here, uh, churn, upsell, and so forth, cross-sell, those might be other revenue streams, but we're focusing for now on, on those. <clears throat> Step number two, you need to figure out what the different dimensions are that you um, want to uh, work with, right? Um, and those two different dimensions or those different dimensions might be Something like markets and regions, might be products, might be segments, might be attributions, uh, might be traffic groupings and so forth. So why all of that complexity? You know, why do you need to introduce all of that stuff into the revenue uh, modeling and the revenue engine? Well, again, it's kind of the same thing. It's um, those markets and those segments and so forth, those dimensions, they usually behave differently. Yeah? So think about... Uh, an enterprise segment, mid-market, and an SMB, um, ju just, just saying these words out loud, you totally understand immediately that these three segments will behave differently throughout your revenue engine, will have a different revenue impact throughout time and so forth, and, um, and therefore need to be separated, right? And the same goes for some of the other dimensions just as much. Again, the other reason here is, sure, it behaves differently, but then also you might have different staffing needs that you want to be able to determine here. For example, uh, if you don't split out into the German-speaking region and the UK and the US, for example, uh, you might miss that you need to have more German-speaking reps uh, because the demand is increasing in Germany and you need to have more account executives processing that through. And on the segmentation side, it might be the same. Think about it as... Uh, you're acquiring more and more enterprise customers, meaning you need to increase potentially your CS, your enterprise CS team and so forth, right? So that's, that's the idea about the dimensions. So again, we have revenue streams and then they have different dimensions behind it. And now we're going to the third step, <clears throat> which is honestly almost wrapping this up here. Uh, the third step, uh, we call it processing steps. Um, and this is really everything between the volume pieces that you collect. So volume is, uh, might be leads, opportunities, uh, one customers and so forth. And then the processing steps are the one connecting those uh, volume metrics in between, right? And obviously this is conversion rate and this is average uh, contract value and might be sales cycles or cycle times, generally speaking. Sales cycles portrays only to opportunity to close one but you have those delays also from lead to opportunity. Think about your webinar leads or white paper leads uh, that sometimes even take three months before they mature into an opportunity if they, if they ever do that. Um, one watch out on cycle times. Um, we see this actually a lot um, when people don't forget about it. Usually people forget about the time aspect, but when they do not, they model it as a, uh, okay, we understand our average sales cycle is 45 days. So that means an opportunity lands here and in 45 days or 100 opportunities land here and in 45 days later, we have 10 of them closing as customers. That's actually not how this really works. You need to think about it more as a distribution, uh, which means in the first 15 days, you know, so many of those customers actually close and the next, you know, 15 to 30 days, so many more of them close and so forth, building up to the 45 days as the peak and then you have a drop off again. Not doing it like this will give you very choppy results that, that can be extremely hurtful uh, in the end of the day. The master level here, 
Um, and, you know, it gets a little bit more complicated. So if you're thinking about some of the uh, different dimensions uh, and you have maybe one dimension on your lead level and you choose to do a different set of dimensions on the opportunity level, you know, bear with me. So an example could be, uh, actually, you know, let's do one customers to then, uh, you know, your existing uh, customers. You might model this out as an inbound, outbound partners and so forth, but your customer set might be not modeled by those acquisition channels. It might be modeled by the segments that you have acquired. So you need to create some kind of a connection between uh, those two steps. And that's what we call, what do we call this again? Actually, keys, right? We call it keys step. Uh, keys dimensions as well, yeah. we actually. Yeah. Have. See, good that I'm not alone. So I didn't have to fumble here. But basically, that that basically is uh, what we're using in order to connect those two worlds with one another. So that makes sense. Now we're going to do something fun for the first time. I'm actually going to uh, take over the screen here and share something that looks very complicated. So what we're seeing here is on a very high level, this is kind of a customer mapping uh, or revenue engine mapping that we're doing with our customers. Um, and please note, we are not in Fig Jam, the kiddo version. We are in Figma, you know, the, the actual designer version, because apparently what's so complicated, we needed to have it done here. Um, I'm obviously totally fine with that, and that's cool. So the, the color coding maybe on the high level, and okay, I'll, I'll, I'll zoom in, in a little bit. So on the left-hand side, we are starting with uh, Google Analytics. Yeah, Then we're going to Marketo, uh, your marketing automation. We're going to Salesforce, then here and then actually Zora for the customer modeling over there. Then on the high level, we basically have different color codings going on the green stuff. I'll zoom into this in a second. The green stuff are your volume metrics. The blue stuff are your processing metrics. And the orange stuff are your dimensions. Yeah. So let me kind of zoom into it real quick so people get a bit of a better understanding of that. Um, so. Not everyone is using traffic all that much. I totally get it. Uh, I'll still start here because it's just the start of this specific customer model. Um, so basically kind of from Google Analytics, the dimensions that we're using here is geographies because that's what you can get from Google, right? They tell you, hey, they, this guy comes from Germany. This guy comes from France. We're obviously breaking this into US, EMEA, APAC, whatever region is important for you. And then the other piece of dimensions that we're getting is, you know, where that person, that visitor, that user count uh, is coming from, you know, organic so uh, search, organic social, paid, email, what have you. All of that stuff you've probably seen before. We're grouping actually direct and branded search together, but, you know, that's that's a different conversation. And then as you see the user account coming in, um, there then needs to be an understanding, uh, you know, which ones actually are doing a goal completion to trial completed or demo, uh, or in this case, quotes completed, right? Kind of two CTAs that you're having. And we're then calculating the conversion rate from user to CTA completion, right? We kind of have a very academic conversation if that's the right way. We're doing some, you know, other pieces in the background, excluding people that log into your tool and so forth. But generally speaking, kind of that's how this thing works. Uh, and this then, the goal completion, and it doesn't 100%, but roughly, and that's just enough for this purpose, uh, fits with the leads created uh, that you basically have then on your marketing automation platform. Uh, and again, so what's now it's starting to be interesting, you still have the two regions, US and EMEA, but now you actually want to start, okay, it's demo, it's free trial, it's other, it's quote, it might be events, right? The events come in, uh, you know, from uh, somewhere else, you know, down here, not from the website. And, uh, you know, maybe in this context, even someone already indicated that they're uh, choosing a specific product, you know, startup pro enterprise or whatever. So those are the different dimensions that we're having here. Uh, you know, across the different lead levels and that then, you know, converts into opportunities. But, you know, for that to happen, we need to understand a couple of things that are here on the, uh, you know, processing side. We need to understand the lead distribution per product. We need to understand uh, the goal distribution uh, in general. So that's part of how we then split this out, right? And how long it takes. And then for going from lead to opportunity, we need to understand the lead to op conversion rate Etc. Then how long it takes, etc., etc., etc. Again, here you will see three month lead op CVR. Uh, that might be different for each of the different businesses. Uh, for you, it might be six month, twelve month, one month, whatever. 
So you really have that in order to smoothen out your, your conversion rate. But you know, watch out if you choose too long of a uh, period here, it will also make your conversion rate uh, move that much slower. And then we basically go from the Marketo world into the Salesforce world with the opportunities being created. Uh, and here now we basically have out inbound opportunities happening. We have SDR opportunities and we have sales prospecting happening. Um, and that is basically coming from a headcount overview of AEs and SDRs, how many opportunities they create and so forth. That then, you know, uh, filters then into what we call, you know, this is really the uh, opportunity to one customer's conversion. Uh, so we need to have the opportunity to close one conversion rate. We have the three months ACV. We have the distribution uh, per opportunity and cycle length and so forth and so forth and so forth and so forth. So I think this is starting to make sense. You know, on the customer side, we're basically then having, uh, you're pulling this from Sora in this case, and we're then creating what we call predictive customer cohorts that might be based on the ACV. It might be based on the acquisition channel, the segment and so forth. It's heavily dependent on your business um, and and what's uh, what's most predictive for your customers, right? Up here, we even have like a, something as a capacity model. So how many AEs do you need and so forth? It gets quite detailed, yeah? So this is the conceptual level. I think when you do it yourself, what you should totally be doing is fewer of the green things here. Uh, you know, don't, don't go overboard, split it into hand raisers and not hand raisers. That's what I would do. I would kill the traffic thing. You know, don't bother with this for now. Uh, I would basically keep it at inbound and outbound opportunities on the uh, sales side. And then on the customer core, it depends heavily on how many customers you have, but try and maybe keep it to five cohorts or something like that. Yeah? So that makes this a lot easier to manage. And then the other thing is keep it simple on the, um, uh, on the dimensions. You know, doing something like this here, very, very difficult already. You might need it and so forth. It makes sense and it's very accurate and granular. Very difficult because, you know, now for every of these here, you need to have a combination of all of those dimensions calculated. Uh, let me show you how we actually have been delivering this uh, to our early and those are the most cherished customers on this planet. But this is how we've been delivering this to actually our customers uh, for quite some time. Uh, basically, this is uh, in, this is an Excel spreadsheet. You know, we called it Wisdom Demo Data Model 1.0, um, and uh, this is how uh, some of that stuff looks like. So we have the different models that I just talked through. We have them here. I'm not gonna go into any detail, but basically, you now this is this is how you build it out, right? So this is the different each combinations of dimensions needs one line. Um, so if you have two dimensions with each four items to it, you're very quickly at, you know, eight, eight lines just for one step. It's, it's terrible. Uh, at least I think so. Uh, but we are, you know, moved on from that. Um, wonderful. So I try to kind of keep it brief um, and uh, make it uh, very much tangible on the stuff that we actually have been uh, uh, doing and showing. But besides that, I think we can, uh, first of all, open up. We're going to do the poll now that's going to run on the side. Um, and I'll open up with a bit of a conversation here with uh, Deb. Deb! Mm -hmm. So, um, did I explain that right? Yeah, actually. Well done. You've learned well. Um, there's a couple of things that I would say. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> so one thing, and, and it comes up quite a lot, actually, is, I mean, you talked about leads and opportunities, mm. but most companies have multiple different metrics that track a lead through its journey and yes. opportunity through yeah. its journey. And obviously, if they are important for you as a company to be able to monitor and to potentially improve mm. or to go, with we're going to put more into this, we're going to make it more efficient, or we're going to increase our conversion rate, then you want to have these different steps, but it also makes it more complicated. Yeah. So in, in you know, in plain, plain words, it's basically instead of leads, so many people see leads, say this is garbage, everyone kind of signs up for mm -hmm. leads. Uh, basically, instead of that, you would have an MQL, you would have an SQL, you would have an SAL. Exactly. You would then go on to the opportunity level. You might have a meeting held or a meeting, meeting booked, booked, meeting, meeting held, held, forecasting stages, pipeline yeah. stages, and so forth. So, um, if you want to, you can obviously make this a lot more complicated, mm -hmm. uh, right? That's, that's, that's also what it's Exactly. Saying. And I think, uh, you know, to start with, I would also keep it simple. Just have a look maybe at your MQLs and how they convert into either a meeting booked or a meeting held, yeah. depending on the targets that you have for your SDRs. Yeah. And is there, um, 
Would you would you say, hey, keep it to try and keep it to three or four steps to kind of begin with, or yeah. to two even? I mean, what's what's even what's two? The point? Um, I would say two to three. Yeah. I mean, you definitely want for your inbound, you want to understand leads of some kind. Yeah. When when they're qualified stage. Yeah. At least one opportunity. Um, normally, one opportunity uh, stage is good, and then of course your one customers. Um, so that's the, the ideal starting place. And then you can identify what are the additional metrics? What are those additional points I want to bring in? Mm -hmm. um, so I can start to see how my revenue engine is actually connected. Mm -hmm. And importantly, all about revenue modeling is how do I actually get that spike in growth that I'm looking for? Yep. Um, so that that's key. And I, and I think we haven't really specifically said it out loud. Um, obviously, the point behind that is that uh, now you have the the model there. We call it the baseline model, actually, yep. right? Yep. And now you can start defining the different inputs around it. Um, so in the very simple sense, in kind of the outbound SDR, an input is an SDR. Uh, mm -hmm. You have one more SDR creating 10 opportunities after three months or something like that. And as you put in these SDRs, you will then see how that affects the opportunity stream, yep. which then affects over time with distribution and so forth, uh, the revenue stream, right? Kind of that's... Uh, Absolutely, that's, yes. yes. And uh, on the so I think on the outbound side, a lot of people are like, okay, that that makes sense. How do we uh, how do we actually do that on the inbound side? So inbound, I mean, your input is all about normally getting people to your website mm. and taking an action. It could also be other offline such as events and and so forth. But your your key channel is normally people coming to the website and signing up for a demo or signing up for a trial. And then the input there is all your advertising spend or mm -hmm. your marketing spend or SEO and, and so forth that you're doing to really drive people to, to come and visit you. Yes. Okay. Bart, anything? You, you, you move. You move. <laughs> I move yeah. We got a couple of uh, anonymous questions here I can kind of throw you guys mm. if you're ready for them. Sure. Let's go. Uh, one I liked here is about uh, what media buying channels are you currently seeing uh, getting most traction right now for advertising for a B2B software? Okay. Um, I don't think I have that number necessarily top of my head. You, you neither, right? Um, but what we what we are seeing, um, what we are seeing is that uh, Google search and, you know, search in general stays up. Uh, we certainly saw a little bit of a dip there. Uh, you know, throughout uh, throughout the different customers, but basically still, you know, stays fairly high up. So why is that? Well, usually when someone is coming through Google search, uh, they're basically ready to buy. It depends a little bit on your product, obviously. And this is kind of existing demand is kind of cheap to harvest. Uh, and, and you want to keep doing that. I think what we've seen is that compared to crazy times that people cut down on, uh, instead of your good keywords, they cut down on, you know, white paper download. So basically they paid Google to bring someone to a white paper download that then never converted later on. And um, they, they cut down on all of that stuff. And then what we are seeing though is, uh, you know, the typical uh, social channels, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, and so forth. We're seeing that people are going uh, softer on that. And the reason is that it's demand generation channels, right? So if you have been pushing demo requests on Facebook, which, you know, I have, and I've learned from that experience, uh, you might still think it's a it's a demand capture channel, so basically kind of people waiting to jump on your demo. But it really, you know, those channels are demand generation channels where you basically need to educate folks that hey, you have a problem. When by the way, we have a we have a solution for that, right? And this is usually a longer term investment. It's harder to track. It's harder to justify to the almighty CFO. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, those are the the, the pieces that are being cut. Uh, the most and the fastest, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's often hard to attribute back to some of those sort of early awareness and, yeah. uh, and demand generation uh, channels that you have. Yeah. And just maybe one last thing. So I think you direct, branded search, organic, all of these assets you will have built up over the last years, right? So this is, uh, if they drop, then this is usually just a just, this is a true demand drop. Mm -hmm. And you, can, you can't really do much about that, right? And they're, there are some of our customers that flourish in the current time and actually you see the demand going up and some of them see the opposite, right? It's a little bit like, um, it's a little bit like the pandemic. So when mm -hmm. Deb and I were at Plan Day, when so many people from cafes and restaurants looking for scheduling software, um, but, you know, obviously someone like Zoom or whatever uh, suddenly had a much, much bigger demand. <clears throat> 
Excellent. So we got one more question right now from our anonymous ten attendees. But if anybody has any questions, definitely just drop them in the chat. We would love to have you guys on live audio. But this question is about uh, what's your experience working with uh, marketing agencies, so essentially outsourcing, uh, that can deliver some parts of the lead acquisition, for example, Google advertising? Mm. I think it depends a little bit on uh, your stage as a company. Uh, think about it more in the sense of you um, have a large uh, search ad uh, budget. Think about it like that. And now you want to optimize that and distribute that in the right way. You basically need to figure out, well, um, is a specialized headcount the right way to do it, right? And I would say if you're not spending $50,000 a month, or maybe it's $25,000, I'm not quite sure what this specific kind of number here is, and then having a full-time headcount looking only after that is sometimes a bit difficult, right? You might distribute it and so forth, but generally speaking, you would either then have a specialist that has uh, expertise in that and something else, or just a generalist doing it, right? I think on the on the outsourcing and agency side, it's it's usually a getting started motion. What what I can see, um, I think, uh, uh, especially with your landing pages and the four that need to be set up, and then and, and some of the Google AdWords set up that that needs to be done. Kind of getting started through an agency is usually a really good idea, at least in the beginning of your journey. At some point, you want to pull this uh, pull this in house. Yeah. Nice. Um, I have more questions, by the way, Bart, but if, but if you have questions, then uh, let's go. None for now, but if we keep, uh, we'll just keep the show going and see what else pops up. So again, if everyone wants to uh, drop questions down in the Q&A or even a chat, we would love to kind of have you guys on for audio, but I can pass it on to you, all, Tony. Yeah, of course. So we talked about some of this revenue modeling stuff. Mm -hmm. um, what, what is the most difficult thing actually what is it where our customers run in uh, the most and have like issues about this and uh, feel like they um uh or where, where we basically get stuck in the process are there are there things like that where like that's an issue with every single customer we see yeah absolutely and you know what it, it, it's not just to do with revenue modeling either mm. it's all around understanding the data quality and what is the true source of data I'm sure everyone can appreciate, you know, you've got different people, you different stakeholders and organization looking at different reports with slightly different definitions of what an MQL is or mm. what an opportunity is. So having all of that understood and to say, okay, this is how we're going to model. We're using this MQL definition. Mm. It's coming from this system, um, is, is important and it's hard to do. Um, especially where you're in an organization where you have data savvy leaders, fantastic. But they're going off and doing their own reports. They have their own dashboards. I mean, and, and this is, I mean, this is kind of a, a problem across, right? Having yep. having your own uh, data definition silos within your different tools, right? And then exactly. it's like, well, my MQL count here in Salesforce is different from my Marketo count, uh, yep. and you know who's right about this, right? Exactly. Um, and I think what what then usually happens is really a um, a bit of a uh, coming to terms kind of situation, right? Kind of mm -hmm. we, um, we we obviously for a programmatic approach like this one, we need to understand, you know, which one is it now, right? Um, and uh, that usually ends up almost being, uh, you know, maybe this is more of a question to you. How do we actually get to that point with us, uh, some of our customers to, okay, you know what? We agree that this is now the, the data point we're pulling. So, I mean, it's never a smooth process. Mm. I, I think it is uh, about talking about it, really understanding what those definitions are and writing them down. Mm. Um, because also, you know, in two months, people are going to forget what's been agreed uh, as well. So make sure it's, it's written down and it's obvious. Yeah. Um, I mean, carrying on from that. So that's one problem, which is very, very common uh, across, you know, all customers. But as I said, not just revenue planning. Mm -hmm. uh, where we have data that's not necessarily in the commercial team's control, uh, such as for your customer model. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we speak a lot with revenue models about new business and the growth and so forth, but your customer model is just as important because it is about your, your retention, your expansion, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, but it's much more complicated to do. I mean, I think what we are seeing more and more, less so in Europe, more in the US, is mm. uh, finance ops being part of revenue operations. Yes. 
Um, and it usually happens in organizations that um, have a bit of a higher volume uh, mm -hmm. of, you know, customers coming on, either because they're just big and therefore have lots of new customers or they're very small customers coming in, right? Yeah. And, and this then suddenly becomes a volume issue that uh, someone with a system kind of thinking way needs to start solving it and then see there someone on the revenue operations side is like, you know what, actually maybe... Maybe I do the CPQ. Maybe I do the, you know, quote to cash. Maybe I do. And, and then folks end up owning Zora and they yep. end up owning Stripe or Braintree or whatever you're using in order to do the cash processing, right? Um, and, you know, if you have that, then it's obviously much easier. Then suddenly you have the, the customer and the, the revenue side, really, right? The exactly. actual revenue side. You have that on the, uh, under the wings of, of revenue operations in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. And when companies start thinking about your, your revenue side, the same way that you do your new business. So you really want to understand what are the key data points along my customer journey? What information do I need to capture? Mm. So if I have an expansion, what was it for? Was it for seats? Was it an upsell? How much was it for? And likewise for a contraction you get a really good feeling of what's happening with your customer base. And that's then when you can start to model on top of that. Yeah. So interesting question from my side. Um, so the way we've presented this and kind of talked about this is very much <clears throat> uh, opportunities times mm -hmm. conversion rate times ACV uh, times time equals revenue. Um, I can see that uh, many people think like, well, wait a minute, where's pipeline? Where's forecast? Um, yep. how, how do we actually think about that? And how would we encourage people to think about it and model that? Mm -hmm, absolutely. So, I mean, when we have a look at the, the revenue formula, we are talking long-term. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're talking sort of for 12 months, two years, and you'd normally review it to make mm -hmm. sure it's still on the track every quarter. When you're having a look at your pipeline and your forecast, you're getting to something which is much more operational. Mm. It's much more now. And it could be on a weekly basis that the sales managers are sitting down with each of their teams and each individual three one-to-ones as well, looking at what, what their pipeline is, what actions are being taken. So it, it's more of the execution and the monitoring of what's happening and giving you early warning signals or positive signals about what, for example, the quarter is going to look like. No, absolutely. Right. And kind of the, the conundrum that, so and I'm, I can just, you know, foresee this. Someone is sitting down okay, mm -hmm. yes, Tony, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to figure this out and sit down with the uh, ops and conversion rates and so forth and, you know, probably get it done right. And then, um, you know, the CEO is going to ask, so how much pipeline do we need to hit next yeah. month? And the answer is, well, from, from that model, I can actually not, I cannot see that, right? I cannot mm -hmm. give you that answer. Um, and, and the reason is because those two, um, those two approaches are somewhat uh, different, right? You have uh, on the opportunity and uh, conversion rate, ACV time and so forth, you have kind of a, we call it a flow approach, right? Yep. You, count, you count the newly created stuff and you, by the way, only count it, you know, once in that month. Um, and uh, that then flows through is in the model, right? Mm -hmm. On the pipeline side, it's more of a stock approach, actually. So every month you might have opportunities in there that... Um, where, you know, originated from the last month and so forth, right? And you create yep. their new. And then when you go into the next month, you will have pushovers again that come from this month and then suddenly appear there again. So exactly. they're to a degree double counted, if you will. Um, and I think what, um, I think Publin is a fantastic metric actually to use. And I think operationally speaking is mm -hmm. extremely powerful. It makes it, I just had a call today with um, uh, someone from a fairly large organization. And, and he was basically saying like, hey, Sierra came in, Saw the model and I was like, I totally get it. I fucking love it. And, you know, yes, we need to plan like this. Yep. But when I talk to my VP of sales, when I talk to the sales managers, I'm going to say, I need 3x pipeline of your target. You know, keep yes. it simple, right? So I think pipeline as a, as a metric is really powerful. If you want to add this to the revenue modeling, you need to uh, kind of overlay that actually in a, in a in a different way, right? You need to understand, okay, um, this is the revenue that we're expecting to produce. Exactly. I just say a million two or whatever. And then you need to have an understanding, uh, you know, historically speaking, how much pipeline did we need to have in order to achieve that, let's just say in a quarter, right? Mm -hmm. And then you basically kind of would calculate it back to a degree, yep. right? This is where those two concepts are a little bit at odds with one another. You would calculate it back to a degree and then would have an understanding of if we wanted to hit that pipeline number or if we want to hit that revenue number, we need to hit that pipeline number. 
sitting behind it, exactly. right? Yeah. But the logic of coming up with a revenue number is the flow perspective that mm -hmm. um, uh, that has been, uh, you know, at least from uh, from our experience now over a couple of years, uh, the predictive, the more predictive way to achieve that. Yeah. And I think one one way I like to explain it as well is when we have a look at the sort of the, the revenue modeling, it's like the forward flows, as you said, a flow, but the forward steps sort of mm -hmm. looking forward. When you're having a, a look at the more operational metrics, um, so pipeline or it could be how many people do I need in this function, yeah. um, it's going backwards. It's going, this is where we want to get to. Now we need to reverse engineer it to get what are the bits I need in order to get there. Yeah. And I think some people think about it also like as forecasting. Um, and our perspective is actually the forecast ends at the quarter end. Yeah. And then the modeling work starts after that. And it's always kind of a moving target to a degree because time, mm -hmm. time moves, right? Uh, but really you want to model for the year and you want to forecast for the quarter, right? I mean, exactly. maybe you have some, some other kind of perspectives on that. But that's usually um, how those two things, uh, you know, coexist or live side by side, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the only thing, sometimes if you have high velocity, so fast-paced sales, mm. maybe you're only forecasting for the month, Yeah. Uh, not the quarter. So it really depends on the business. Yeah. And I do know other companies where a quarter isn't quite long enough. Mm. So they actually forecast for six months because yeah. of the sales cycles, but they still revenue plan for 12 months and potentially 18 to 24 months. No, that's right. I mean, this is... So let's just say you have an SMB motion. Uh, mm -hmm. So we had that at Plan A, um, but we were running in quarterly cycles because the sales reps were yep. incentivized on a quarterly level. Um, basically, when I was asked, so Tony, what's, which number are we going to hit uh, in January mm -hmm. for, for the end of March? The thing is, uh, your forecast will only be able to tell you what you have in your pipeline or in your forecast right now. Yep. But it will completely forget or not know about all of the opportunities you're going to create tomorrow or that going to slip into forecast or pipeline tomorrow, right? Exactly. So um, so this is basically to your point, right? If you have shorter sales cycles, you need to actually lean heavier on the modeling side mm -hmm. uh, versus if you have a full-on enterprise motion that takes 18 months, mm -hmm. uh, you can basically forecast the year if you wanted to, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So interesting, I, I kind of saw on your, on your little note there that you have Tony questions. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, so a, a couple of these we have covered, but one thing, I mean, we, we talk about revenue modeling, we're talking about numbers, we're talking about data and metrics. It, it's all very logical and we, you can make a number look good and look work, yeah. uh, look like it will work. But for you, how important is it to, to make sure that, you know, the key stakeholders have been bought in and they understand the end to end flow? Yeah. So operationalizing a revenue model. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, so at least, you know what, I can tell my story. Yeah. Uh, and my story was really, um, you know, we had the crisis, things weren't working out. We were on a AE times ramp up times quota mm -hmm. uh, kind of revenue model. Um, and it obviously broke because it's it's silly. It You know, it, it should have not never worked in the first place, right? And we were then trying to figure out, so how can we actually, how can we improve on that? We figured something out, you know, now we call it the revenue modeling. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, and when we presented the first time, because there was like crises and, every, you know, there's lots of pressure. Everyone was like, ah, okay, cool, sure, Tony. Uh, you know, <laughs> it was, it was not like the, you know, this moment where, oh, this emerged now and now we know. It wasn't a light bulb moment no. for many people. No. no. Um, where it became a light bulb moment is, um, you know, I was put in a position, luckily, um, was put in a position where it then basically was like, okay, Tony, we now need to make a plan. And that plan has to stick because we screwed up the last three quarters. Mm -hmm. Trust for the board is low. We have way too much cost ramped up for the revenue that we're bringing in. Uh, so now we need to have a number that we trust. Whether that number is big enough for our ambitions or not doesn't actually matter in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, and that is that is maybe kind of where some other companies differ because the, they haven't kind of hit the wall in that sense and the egos yeah. are still, the ambitions are still too high. But in that sense, it really was like, okay, what's going to be the number by the end of the year? Mm -hmm. And um, the team and I, we put forward a number um, that we could hit based on the resources we were given. 
And then we had a great conversation between CFO, CEO, and, and myself, and I was like a sales operations manager. Um, and uh, basically the conversation was, I can hit this number with the resources you, you want to give me. If you want me to hit the number that you want to have, you need to give me more resources. Yep. Uh, and suddenly there was a little bit of a tug of war, but not mm -hmm. much because it made sense. And then it was like, you know what, Tony? Uh, hit the number, you know, with the resources you have. And then see there, we kind of hit ex almost exactly that number by the end of the year, right? Yep. And this then resulted in uh, full-on trust in this way of doing it. This then resulted in, okay, now that this works like that, um, let's use it as a budgeting, um, basically as a process to supplement the budget. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> because the next year was like, okay, we want to grow to 25 or 20 million or whatever number we had. Um, and uh, we have so much customer acquisition costs we can use for this. So how do you take the customer acquisition costs and then, you know, make sure you hit that number? Um, we then used this revenue model. We used the different inputs we had. We kind of figured this all thing out. And that then gave us a really good understanding of what actually could be achieved in the budget, right? And it yep. became a bit of a, a back and forth to a degree because we had, um, <clears throat> we basically, you know, it's always the CFO and the CEO on the board. It's like, hey, we want to go to this number with this mm -hmm. little CAC. And then your comments like, hey, with that amount of customer acquisition costs, I can only do this number. And there's like, well, if you can only do this number, I can't give you so much customer acquisition. And you kind of go back and forth a little bit before you, I think you, that's you know, a very familiar story yeah, yeah. to a lot of people before listening you, today. Before <laughs> you settle in. I mean, the, yeah. the main difference though is, um, wait a minute, it's, um, it's, um, you suddenly have a data-driven conversation. Exactly. It's not this, uh, the CRO wants to optimize for his or her commission check kind of conversation pulled on targets. Yep. No, it's like, you know, with those inputs and without magic, we're going to land here. And nor is it a gut feeling anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think maybe Bart wanted to say something. Yeah. I got a, I got a Tony question here. Okay. I got another one from the chat here. Uh, it is about pricing changes and pricing strategy. Yeah. Uh, so how do you implement a pricing change when it comes to B2P software? If you've realized that the pricing previous that you previously implemented just isn't working, uh, how do you decide on the price? How do you then implement the change? And even the question is, how do you decide if pricing should be subscription-based? Jesus. It's a lot of questions. Let me, let me, let me put out my, my pricing playbook. Uh, let me kind of you know, load this up a little bit. So pricing in general, super big topic. Um, I um, have dabbled myself in that quite a lot. And I think f I was, I'm still none the wiser, mm. I think. I think um, depending on uh, the volume that you have, you can make it either very scientific um, and that's pretty cool when you get to that point. Or if you have super early on, super low volume, you might simply need to guess a little bit. Um, and, uh, and I think where it breaks down for most organizations, let's just say you're very insecure about your pricing and you have very low volume anyway. Well, number one, you can just not put it on your website, uh, which gives you a ton of flexibility. You basically come up with a new pricing scheme for every uh, sales conversations you have. Terrible, I know, but that's how it works in reality sometimes. And what's good with that is you can kind of play around with things, right? You can... You say the number and you look that other person in the eyes over Zoom and you see if the number was too high or was too low. And exactly. when, when someone is asking, okay, is, okay, cool. Is that per month or per year? Then you know it's too low. You know, <laughs> if someone is asking you that question, then you know you screwed up. Um, I think on the more scientific approach, there are a couple of agencies out there that are doing a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. um, and especially because it's really data-driven. Um, so number one, obviously you can just try it out and see uh, how this works. And the idea here is really number one, you want to uh, design the different steps. You want to have like an, uh, you know, each of the different pricing levels is kind of for a different persona or for a different ICP to a degree, or, you know, there needs to be some logic like that. Um, and then the pricing needs to correlate with that ICP or with that persona. Uh, and then what you want to create is you want to, figure out what separates those two things, right? Between the, uh, you know, the, the, the basic user and the pro user or between, uh, you know, a small or a big organization. There is sometimes just literally one feature difference between those two things. And you want to figure out what that feature is, right? And uh, the typical things are like governance and, you know, security and 
It used to be API integrations. Now it's mm -hmm. ubiquitous for everything. It used to be single sign-on. Now it's, you know, everything. Exactly. Um, but there might be some of those features. And the funny thing is those features for you might be completely useless. They might be you not know, connected to cost or anything like that. But for your user, it might be massive. And then you basically create a package where you say, well, um, for me to figure out, you know, between the basic and the pro user, there's this one feature. Uh, and I'm just going to make it part of the pro plan. You know, that's that's basically it. You kind of then, you know, beef it up a little bit by giving some other uh, additional pieces, but it's usually one or two or three different features that make that difference. Um, so that's how you kind of set up those different things. And then what you also want to do, uh, especially for net retention rate, you want to create a path for your users to uh, graduate throughout those different packages. And if you don't do that, what's going to happen is uh, you won't be able to sell show upsell and you will have churn. There's no way. I mean, you will have churn. There's no way. Uh, but if you don't have any options to create a upsellable path, you won't have any, uh, you know, uh, anything that pushes in the other direction of, of net retention, right? Gross retentioners will pull you down. There's no upside there. So you need to create something to push it up. And then, you know, maybe one last thing from, from actually our plan day times mm -hmm. was, um, you know, look at, uh, you know, for, for let's just say you have a high volume piece, let's just say you have uh, maybe a global audience um, and let's just say you have a kind of a flexible product. What you can actually do in order not to piss off your sales team, uh, if you're kind of mature in this regard, you can just go to very remote places on this planet uh, and IP-based, show them different pricing on the website. Um, and, you know, those would be the places that in your MQL queue are getting uh, sorted out anyway uh, yeah. or get, you know, uh, never getting called or something like that. Um, and, um, you know, show them some pricing and see how it works out and suddenly maybe some convert, some not and so forth. It, Especially if you have a trial environment or the ability to buy now. So yeah, I was about to say, it's like you need to have a little bit of a PLG setup yeah. here. Because yeah. otherwise it's different, right? Um, you can try something like that out there. You can also try it out in um, uh, different industries or segments yeah. that you might neglect, right? There's always pockets in your in your go-to-market that um, are disregarded, usually because of efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, and this might be a good pocket for you to try and test a little bit with pricing. Not everything is perfectly applicable. You disregard them for a reason, so you won't be able to gather so much data from that and so forth. But that it, is it usually... It gives you a, a, more of an understanding than you probably yeah. had before. Yeah. I would honestly, if you're big enough, consider using some pricing agencies for this. You're going to pay probably like 200, 250K euros. It's a lot, I know, but it's probably it's worth probably it. It's probably worth it. So no question at the moment, but I just wanted to quickly share what we're going to be hearing on our next live. We got the results for the pool. Very popular one, actually. Our favorite growth hack, QBRs. Oh, wow. nice. I think we're talking potentially getting Ola on for a, for a second person there. Yeah, let's do that. Wonderful. We're coming. So I think there's one more one more question. Do, do, you, have, do you have something that you... I uh, do, I do. Let's it, go. It comes up a lot, actually. So we talk about our, our revenue model. So you have your input, you have your processing, you have an output. Mm. So, you know, you have opportunities converting to customers. Uh and the question always comes up is why aren't we using the number of account executives that a company has and their quota to predict revenue? Mm -hmm. Why are we looking at what the SDRs are doing from an opportunity stage? Yeah. So, um, so this obviously goes a little bit back. I, I actually, by now, so it's a very frustrating question. I'm very emotional about this question. Um, but the, um, the reason why it comes up is because this has been the way of doing things for the last 20, 30 years. Yeah? And it really, when you think about it, it started from a door-to-door -door sales perspective. So you had one salesperson um, and it was a, let's just call that salesperson a self-sustaining unit, right? Mm. Salesperson jumped on the car, drove around, knocked on doors and uh, by way of doing it, basically created demand and closed demand in the same, in the same instance. Um, then, you know, you fast forward to someone like Salesforce and Oracle or kind of in Siebel, all of these guys using this as well. Um, basically doing something similar. They have territories. They know the 20 accounts in there. They basically kind of go out there and, and then try and close them. And obviously these companies have been extremely successful with that, mm -hmm. right? Now you fast forward another five to 10 years and now you're in this 
stage that Dave Kellogg calls the industrialization of sales, mm-hmm. where you basically have now a uh, an approach where you specialize all of the different functions. You have account executives doing only the closing. You have SDRs doing the the booking of outbound. You mm-hmm. have maybe inbound SDRs that are you know creating those opportunities and so forth. And and what now happened is that the account executive him or herself is not a self-sustaining unit anymore. It's just not. Um, and you can do two ways now. You can do one, which is a pod kind of system. So maybe a self-sustaining unit now is two outbound SDRs, one AE, maybe one CSM or something mm-hmm. like that. That would be a self-sustaining unit. And then you just you know, stack them on top of each other and scale them. That could work. It's very rigid. There are a couple of you know, ups and, upsides and downsides with this. Or you go into a more system way of thinking, which is uh, basically kind of this modeling approach we say, well, um, you have those SDRs, they need to create opportunities. You have an inbound that also needs to create opportunities. Mm-hmm. They need to create just enough opportunities for the AEs to be uh, busy, busy. Yeah. right? And how do you measure busyness? Well, is, is the calendar white or is it not white? You know, that's that's how you measure busyness. That, at that's the, the scientific day. way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and that's how you go about it. And, uh, and because of that separation of labor, if you will, of that specialization that happened over the last couple of years, especially in the go-to-market side, um, the AE is just not self-sustaining anymore. So just adding AEs is not going to help you. They're just going to be sitting around waiting for a demo to be booked with white calendars in front of them. And you're going to pay lots of salaries without any revenue coming out. Yep. Absolutely. Wow, that was, a, that, was a, that was an awesome closing question. I knew that would question. get you, you know, passionate about it. Man. Okay. Um, Wonderful, everyone. So I'm wrapping this up. Uh, so this was a session on uh, revenue modeling. Uh, we went through the three main steps on what you need to keep in mind. We showed, um, you know, a full-on Figma on how we're actually thinking about and building this out. And then actually we even showed a bit of a spreadsheet model for people to get a bit of a feel of how extensive some of that might become. And then mm-hmm. and we had a bit of a bit of a chat here, Deb and I. And uh, thank you so much for the questions. And uh, wonderful to have you here, Deb. Pleasure to be here. Hope wonder, to be back sometime. Wonder, yeah, for sure. Uh, and wonderful for everyone here to uh, uh, be here as well. So thank you very much and uh, enjoy. Bye. Thanks, everyone.